and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday Podcast. My name is Natalie, and we are currently going through the book of Matthew. We're going to jump in this morning by reading Matthew eleven twenty through 24. And he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would have been more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you not be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, here's Tony's message. go that's I mean like easy I know when Greg was planning this out he's like hmm I wonder who should do this one maybe Tony right yeah woe to you woe to you brought down to Hades is there any question that this is a warning light like a huge blinking like fireworks surrounded warning right well let's take a breath and first remember who is speaking this Let's remember that it is Jesus saying these words. So if all that could speak these words, of all the the folks that could say this, at least it's our Savior, right? The warning is clear, though. And it's not like a seatbelt warning that's like, whatever, you know, seatbelt or not. This one has to be recognized. It has to be diagnosed and a solution found for that warning. So today, I want us to see that the warning is real and urgent, that there is a solution for this warning. And finally, I hope that you see in all of this that it comes from love. Now, if you've spent much time in the Old Testament, the words, woe to you, should invoke memories of a book that spends a ton of time saying these very words. Jesus here echoes the woe to you words of Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, Words that the Jewish people would have been very familiar with and words that would have marked out those whose actions and attitudes have aligned themselves against God and his purposes. He uses this term later in Matthew when he's speaking to the Pharisees. He actually says that again. Woe to you, leaders, right? This is Jesus fully and completely calling them out. He's calling out the people that have been following him. He's calling out the cities where he's done all the great work. And he's really changing tactic right here um, from what we would consider a uh, more soft, miracle-filled lecture. Um, He spent a lot of time doing miracles and comfortable in the sense that he wasn't calling them out and saying, woe to you. He was calling them out and saying, these are the things Uh, that will make you happy. These are the things that you need to be doing, right? Matthew Henry, a respected theologian, says it in this way. He says, Many a sweet and comfortable lecture of grace Christ had read to them to little purpose, and therefore he reads them a dreadful lecture of wrath. Those who will not hear the message of grace shall be made to feel the wrath. 
That's not something we usually talk about with Jesus. We get this picture of Jesus here that we don't normally talk about. It's one I've never preached on. Man, if you guys have heard me preach, I'm all about love and like, man, look how he changed my life and so much love. I don't talk about the judgment side of things. Where do I get off saying that? Well, we're going to contrast these three cities today, and we're going to see what Jesus had seen and is seeing. Then we're going to come back to that authority on which he is speaking on. Now, here's the region that we're talking about. He's been kind of moving around the north end up there in Galilee, right? Uh, we got Chorazin, uh, Capernaum, and Galilee, uh, Bethsaida on the other side. Um, the thing about these cities, um, you know, he says, woe to you. Uh, to Chorazin and to Bethsaida. And then he chastises Capernaum, right? Now, all three of these cities would have had much more focus from Jesus. All three of these cities would have been f full of Jewish people, full of God's people, full of righteous people. These are God's chosen people. Capernaum was the base of Jesus' operations and received what what we call the light of the world. And that was prophesied by Isaiah. Matthew says in chapter 4, verses 13 through 11, or 13 through 16, quoting Isaiah at the second half, it says, And leaving Nazareth, Nazareth, and he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here's what Isaiah said, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Chorazin is only about an hour's walk from Capernaum. So it would have been a place receiving many visits, I believe, um, and what we see in Scripture. And many reports of Jesus and the mighty works that he was doing there. So it would have been very well known of what Jesus had done. And Bethsaida, we see from John in the first chapter, uh, was important as well. Three of the 12 disciples came from Bethsaida. And it says in uh, chapter 1, verse 44, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. These were all Jewish cities, right? These were full of God's people, full of those who believed that they were righteously following God's people and full of those who believed that they knew the path that they were supposed to be on. But the problem is, is that they didn't recognize when God came down and stood next to them and walked with them. There was a period where they were really excited about it, but here we see that it's fallen off, right? They've gone back to their ways of what they believe they should be doing. They were privileged with so much God, but as we see in this passage, they had not repented. Now those cities, those cities from the outside looking in stand in stark contrast to what we see in Tyre, Sidon, and uh, Sodom, which were Gentile cities, those who were not God's people, right? For Tyre and Sidon, um, six of the Old Testament prophets said that they would be destroyed, and they were. In fact, in Ezekiel, uh, in our ESV Bible anyways, there are sections that are titled Prophecy Against Tyre and a Lament for Tyre. These were not places of the Lord 
And man, oh man, could we go on about Sodom, right? A city that was destroyed by fire. We, we could talk not only about the sexual sin they were living in, but it also says in Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verses 49 and 50, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. So the sins of Sodom include pride, apathy, complacency, idleness, and unconcerned for the underprivileged. Just a really horrible place, right? But what did Jesus say about those places in comparison to the city of the righteous? It will be more tolerable for those cities on the day of judgment from the cities where they knew of, they heard of, and they saw the works of Jesus. The city of a people of God's chosen ones. Here's the warning light. If you have heard the good news of Christ, if you've seen the mighty works of Christ around you, if you are in a place where God has shown his favor and you are not changed by that, repenting of your ways and truly following Christ, then your judgment day will be worse than those that never knew the favor of the Lord. People of those towns thought they were righteous because they were doing all the things. They were checking the boxes. They were showing up to things. They were going to all the dance nights they had back then. But they weren't able to see Jesus walking among them, the true Savior. They weren't able to believe that he was who he said he was and repent and truly follow him. That warning is for us. We cannot fall into that trap. This idea of tougher judgment because of knowing of God and Jesus is not only here. We see it throughout the New Testament. In Luke uh, chapter 12, the second part of 48, it says, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. And Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Despite what you may think, despite how bad you think it is here in Cody, Wyoming, this is not Sodom. The warning is for us. We're living in a place where God's word is readily available. Pick up any phone, any Bible app. There's, they're laying on the floor. This is the place where you can steal something. It's the Bible. Go ahead, steal it. It's yours. Take it with you. All right? God's word is readily available. Where the works of Jesus are on display for us every day. We cannot act as those that were in Bethsaida or Sodom. We can't act that way. Living self-righteous lives, singing the praises of God, but not truly repenting, not truly walking against the stream of the world that you're in. And ignoring that Jesus is walking among us every day and doing mighty works around us.
We do not want to end up on judgment day and hear those words, woe to you. Now we've got our warning light, right? It's pretty clear what the warning light is. We know what the problem is. And this, if this was my daughter's car, the next step would be to do what any good father would do and ask their father-in-law to fix it all. It's a little bit of a joke and a lot of seriousness there. All right? Thank you, Rich. Um, but if you didn't know how to fix it, what do we do in this world? If we want to we build that special pallet bench that your wife has always wanted you to build or... Uh, you know, maybe fix something on a car you've never fixed before. Anybody? Uh, YouTube. YouTube. I, I did not pay them. YouTube, right? That is where we get all our answers on how to fix anything. But man, oh man, you got to make sure that the person that is giving the solution has the authority, has a firsthand knowledge of not only the warning, but how to fix or provide the solution to the problem. I mean, anyone can do a video on something, and it's pretty evident pretty quickly whether Ricky Bobby's quick fix for this certain warning light is going to actually work. But that's what's so amazing about God and our Savior Jesus is that they give us the warning light, but then they give us a solution that comes from the ultimate authority, the one that is saying what that warning is. And this is where we get into problems because you search YouTube and you look up uh, salvation or you look up how do you get to heaven. And there are answers all over the board. We just spent a month talking about some answers that folks have for you, a fix for a problem. But there's only one true solution. So the warning is real and urgent. There is a solution. Jesus very plainly tells us right from the start where the fix is. He doesn't even, you don't have to know Greek, people. You don't have to read it in the Hebrew. It says it in verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21 says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. True repentance is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about recognizing some cool stuff that Jesus has done or that maybe that you've seen. I'm talking about seeing the power of Jesus and how letting it transform you. And you no longer are who you were before. You're somebody different. People are like, what is different about you? It talks about sackcloth and ashes in here. And in the Old Testament, that was a way to show outwardly what was going on on the inside. Right? They put on these really uncomfortable sackcloth kind of clothing and they put ashes on their head because they were repenting. They were asking for forgiveness. Whatever I need to do, I am nothing. I am ashes. Repent. He goes on from there and he talks about this day of judgment in relation to their lack of repentance. 
how can he speak of judgment, right? He just came to save us. Because the day is coming when we will all stand before the one who spoke those words or the one who sent that man to speak those words. Two choices. I don't want to get all end times on you and everything, but I am because that's where the scripture's taking us, okay? And it's a great way to start the new year, thinking about judgment and the end of your life. We will all have to give an account for our lives. Hebrew 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, right? And then in Revelation, it lays it out perfectly clear. A lot of Revelation I don't understand because it's all, you know, all these images and things that I don't understand. But Revelation 20, these verses are very clear. And I saw a great white throne and him sitting on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and a place was not found for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great, stand before God, and books were open. And another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead in them. And each one of them was judged according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone was not found, having been written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. This is heavy stuff. And that is why Jesus is saying what he is saying here. The severity of the warning light matches the end game of what he is warning you about. You see, there are, already, there are really two ways, only two ways to be judged at the end. Either as a believer, one who has not only believed in Christ, but has changed their life and their walk is different, and they're different because of it, and truly repented, are those who have not. Those that have repented, or as they're referred to, or those who have, excuse me, not repented, or as they're referred to in verse 12, the dead, or in Ephesians 2.1, it, it says this, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And that's everybody before Christ. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. Without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Those people that come to the end of their life and they have not accepted that free gift, they, are, they will stand. You know what? I doubt that they're actually going to be standing. They're going to be on their faces before the white throne of judgment before God. And at this judgment, as mentioned in verse 12, books are open that contain records of everyone's deeds, good, bad, ugly, or beautiful. And for the unrepentant one, those not following Jesus, Paul describes them as this in Romans 2, 5 through 6. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. 
Now, if you, stop, if you stop right there, if you ignore the rest of Scripture, if you put a human twist on the end, if you watch the wrong YouTube videos, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you did enough good to get in, right? Just enough. But unfortunately, the reality of the matter is in Romans 6.23, and it says it pretty plainly. For the wages of sin is death. Period. A lot of us, we want to think about it like these scales. Like we get up, we get up and we face, we face God. We haven't accepted Christ, but man, we got this, this good over here and this bad, you know, this is kind of the bad things I've been doing. And we think that, you know, yeah, you know, maybe I was mean to my wife. Well, that puts me down here. Well, maybe if I'm good to my neighbor or maybe if I give a little bit more at church, I can, I can outweigh that. And it can go more to the good side. Come on now, Right? You can put more on the good side. Let's just pile it up, okay? The more good I do, when I get up in front of God, he's going to be like, you know what? I can't argue with all that good. It kind of outweighs all the sin. Good job. Way to keep track. That ain't the way it happens, right? The weight of sin cannot be outweighed by anything we do. It will always weigh us down. You cannot be good enough. Romans 3.23 says that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And let's go back to Revelation where it gives us the final point on this. In 15 it says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. After all that, you go through all the books. Here's your good and your bad and your ugly and all that. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The severity of the warning matches the outcome of not listening to the warning. Woe to you, he's saying. But what he's really saying is, please listen to me. Please listen to me. Jesus is pleading with them. He's pleading with us. And those that, have, that are not believing, that have not truly repented, that are not being changed. This idea of repentance, I like to think of it as, as like if I were to go out and I was to tell you all I got a new car, right? And you've known me and I, you know, I got you know, uh, this truck and you're like, oh, I know what he had. No, no, I got this new great truck. You guys got to come to my place and see it. You come over to my house and you look at this truck and it's the exact same truck you saw before. True repentance is changing that. People see you differently. They see that as something different in your life. You have to know that the outcome of ignoring the warning the biggest, brightest, flashiest warning you have ever had is an eternal consequence of epic, disastrous proportions. It's right here. Jesus is pleading with you. Please, listen to me. Now, there may be some of you that are, are believers. You're, you're running hard after it, and you're thinking right now, well, this is kind of elementary. I already knew this. I've been studying the scriptures for years. That's great. You didn't tell me nothing I didn't know. Well, let me ask you this. 
Do you love those around you that don't know about the warning and the consequence? The judgment day, the eternal consequences of not heeding the warning? What about that relative that came to visit you that you, maybe you were pretty happy when they left, right? What about that person that sits in the office next to you? What about that person that sits in the bleacher next to you? Do you love them enough to tell them what Jesus told that crowd 2,000 years ago and he's telling us here this morning? Or is that something we need to keep to ourselves? Just inside these walls when, when Tony can just yell at you a lot. Now, if you're not ready to hear about this book of life thing, I don't know what else I can say to get you interested. Jesus spends way more time talking about the solution to the warning light than the warning light itself. It's so simple, so straightforward, that when we see this ginormous warning, this thing that has consequences for the, for the rest of eternity, and we see that ignoring that, and we re when we read the words written here about grace and mercy and a love so great that will keep us from those consequences, many of us have a hard time believing, really believing that and believing that it is the solution. Now, throughout the New Testament, we see people come to that realization. We see in Acts, when Paul and Silas are in Philippi, we see this from a jailer who had just experienced the grace uh, of God through Paul and Silas. And what does he say? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And maybe you're feeling that this morning. And Paul and Silas reply in Acts 16.31, they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The only good, the only good that will tip the scale for you is the perfect sacrifice of the one that came and was perfect for you. The ultimate good. The one that when we accept that and we truly repent and our lives are changed by him, that allows us to be judged by the warning giver at Christ's seat of judgment. And I guarantee that's the one we want to be standing at. As plainly as Jesus brings the warning, he also gives us the solution. In John 14, he said, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is said to a disciple after he says, I must leave. I've got to go. And, I, and the disciple is distraught. Like, how can I go with you, Lord? Where, what do I need to do? And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Friends, let me tell you. The words in this book are true. I don't care what you've done in your life. Come talk to me. I guarantee I've done mostly more horrible things than most of you. When we bring all the junk, all the brokenness, 
all the trying hard, all the checking the boxes, all the self-righteousness, all the religiosity, all the sin that we have, all the sin that's been laid on us, when we take all that and we lay it at the feet of the one who is saying, please listen to me, and we are changed by that, when we do that, The but God can happen. Romans 5, Romans 5, 8 says this. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the warning is real and urgent. There is a solution, but it comes from love. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Everybody should know this by now because it's like every week we say this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, Jesus is the authority on the warning light because he is the solution. He's saying, please listen to me. Just come to me. Please listen to me. Please come to me. He will fix the warning, and it comes from love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those that accept that, Truly accept it. Don't just marvel at it and be like, well, that's really cool. That's, that's good you're doing that over there. But accept it. Repent and go a different way. Go against what the world is telling them to do. Those are the names that are in the book of life. They have seen the warnings. They have grown weary in their walk alone in this world. They're looking for shelter from the storms of life. And they've called out to Jesus to save them. They have heard the good news. They have seen his mighty works. They have repented. They're not continuing on the same path they were on and saying, that's nice over there. I'm going to keep going this way. They're saying, I want to be part of that, and I want to be with you, Jesus. And they changed their walk. It's no longer a warning light, but it's hope. It's the hope that he gives us through that warning. Now, you're in a place, like I said, of knowing the words of God, the blessings of his protection. And seeing his mighty works at hand. You were able to see people that were dead and are now alive. You're like, what are you talking about, Tony? I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah, you're looking at it right now. 30 years I was dead. 30 years I was walking in death. 30 years I was blind. 30 years I could not hear. And on one night, he made it all right. There are 21 stories on our Outpost Stories page of that exact thing. Dead, alive, 
blind can see. Couldn't hear anything. Now I can hear. You cannot turn around and talk to your neighbors and not hear even more stories of being dead and may be made alive. You cannot tell me that miracles only occurred in what we read in the scripture every day. Every day, miracles are being done. The mighty works of Jesus are all around you. No longer a warning light, but the greatest hope that you'll ever have in your life. This entire book, this entire book, a lot of people see this as like, oh, it's just a warning manual. Let me warn you about this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Warning, warning, warning. This is a, a love letter to each one of you with warnings that are out of love to bring you to a place where at the day of judgment, you can walk to the seat of Jesus and know that the rest of eternity is secure with him no matter what you've done. Because listen, it's not that far of a move from woe to you to well done, good and faithful servant. You have the warning. You have the solution. Now accept the love, the grace, and mercy for your salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for these words that you've put before us. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to warn us, to give us a solution that doesn't take knowledge of the Hebrew words or the Greek words, Lord, but just a knowledge, a love, and a following of your beautiful son that came not only to warn, Lord, but to give us a solution that will last eternity. Lord, I pray for hearts this morning, if we become stagnant in our walks, if we become like the people of those cities that may point to you but didn't truly repent, Lord, if we're walking in a way that is not right. Lord, I pray this morning that you will pull on those hearts. Bring them into your loving arms and give them rest. In 